We've been studying through this book and preaching through the book of Titus. We are now in chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. Good to see a wonderful crowd here this morning. I hope everybody's in, in good spirits. And uh, I appreciate uh, football season for more reasons than one. Uh, but one is particular during football season. Uh, we, I, do, I do tell a difference as a pastor. Not that I'm saying you should tell a difference, but I do indeed tell a difference in the service when Georgia wins. And so I am thankful that they won handedly yesterday, and I'm thankful that it happened to be against the Gators. And so that makes me even more excited. But uh, but I, uh, I some people say, well, aren't you a Clemson fan? I say yes, but I've always been a Bulldog fan too, especially since I've moved to Athens. Amen. My dad always pulled for the dogs, and I always cheered for him too with him, and uh, thankful. But there is going to be an issue if they, uh, Clemson and Georgia, ends up meeting in the national championship. I told somebody, I hope that doesn't happen because I'm afraid there might be a church split. But it wouldn't be that bad of a split because there would probably be like one from 150. So, no, it would be all right. I know you guys wouldn't make me leave, and uh, you'd keep me around, hopefully, I pray. Hope we won't have to cross that bridge, okay? But uh, but no, all honestly, it is uh, just a lot of fun uh, to talk about those things from time to time. But more importantly, we we uh, want to focus in upon the Word of God this morning. And it's been a, a wonderful study through this book, the book of Titus. And the Lord's teaching us many things. I've, I've seen growth in, in my heart and as I've studied and preached. And, and I've seen uh, growth in our church and our hearts. And, and I'm just grateful for what the Holy Spirit is doing. Uh, we last week talked about the grace of God and how marvelous it truly is. And we're going to continue that theme uh, there in chapter 2 of Titus, verse 11. And uh, we're going to read that one, and then we're going to continue on through the passage on this great subject, uh, subject of grace. I'll begin reading in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let's pray together. Father, we are again committing this time to You. Lord, I'm asking that You would just take over this message by the power of Your Spirit. I only ask that You would help me be a voice and a vessel that is fit for the Master's use. And Lord, would You help Your people today? And then, Lord, if there's someone here that they have yet to receive this grace by faith for salvation, Lord, help them to make that decision today. Change us, Lord. More into the image of the Lord Jesus, and we'll be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. 
Well, as we have studied this book, let me just give you a, a quick background uh, to help us understand again the context. This letter is written to a young pastor who's just starting off in perhaps one of his first major ministries, and it is a major one. He has been called to the island of Crete, an island filled with complete ungodliness, idolatry and uh, immorality and all the other things that you could possibly think of. This crowd had a reputation of being uh, the, the the worst around, okay? And so God has called this uh, pastor, Titus, to go and to pastor these people, to love these people, to lead them to Christ and to disciple them, encourage them. And that is what he's going to do by God's grace. And Paul is writing this letter to encourage uh, this young man, to give him some instruction, to give him uh, some support and guidance and uh, to how he should conduct himself. Because there were some serious things lacking in the church. There needed some serious attention there on this island. And so Paul wrote this little book we called Titus to help this young pastor. And uh, we are talking specifically now about grace. Last week we talked about how we are saved by grace. And, and that it is for all to all that will come to Him. And what He saved us from. We talked about that last week. But you know, we're going to continue that thought of grace. I'm afraid sometimes we stop, when when we talk about the subject of grace, I'm afraid that sometimes we stop at the idea of being saved by grace. And you know, the Bible goes much, much further than just talking about being saved by grace. The Bible talks a lot about living by grace. And and that's exactly what Paul is going to hit here right in this letter to Titus. He's going to talk about that not only are we saved by grace, but the title of this morning's message is trained by grace. Trained or taught by grace. Now you'll notice there in our text, the if you if you make it a habit of underlining your Bible, underline those first two words you see in verse twelve, teaching us. Teaching us. What is teaching us? Well, you have to go to the previous verse. Grace. Grace not only saves us, praise God it does, fully and completely. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. We are saved by grace, but praise God, we live by grace. And grace, once we get saved by the grace of God, we get born again. God does a miraculous work. Day by day, in and through us. And guess what? Every person sitting in here under the sound of my voice this morning is a, an example of God's grace. Would you all agree that we're all a work in progress? Oh, yes. We would all admit that. No problem. And I, and I, and I know some of you are saying amen for somebody you know more than yourself. I don't know. But, uh, but hopefully we all know that we are individually in need of this great grace. What does this word mean here when it says teaching us? Well, that Greek word, uh, is the Greek word pahideo, where we get our English word pedagogue. It's a teacher. It's a trainer. And and grace indeed is our pedagogue. It is our master. It is our instructor. And if you will, grace, the grace of God, is our trainer. It trains us daily. 
moment of salvation, it begins to teach us. And Paul is going to tell us from the Word of God what it does teach us. You know, it's used in different contexts, this word here, teaching. It's used in the area of correcting. It's used in the area of giving guidance. We find in 2 Timothy 2.25. We also, that we, it's used in the context of discipline and punishment. It's even talking to the, to the extent of whipping and, and scourging. We see there in Luke chapter 23, verse 16. So we see that it has an element of training, preparing. And the Lord indeed is doing a preparing work in each of our hearts. You know, I don't know about you. Some of you may have some uh, distaste for it, but I personally like boxing. I just had watched boxing with my dad growing up, and I like watching a good boxing match. But one of the things I really that intrigues me about boxing is learning about the training process. Boy, the trainers that uh, are hired uh, by these world-class heavyweight boxers or uh, world champion boxers, the that they go through. And I read an article recently about uh, what makes a good trainer in the boxing world. And there have been some good ones out there. Trainers that have helped uh, men like Joe Lewis and, and uh, men like Mike Tyson, and I could go down the line, others and others, great world champion boxers who have trained them. And each of those boxers, I guarantee you, will give contribute much of their victory, much of their uh, winning and their championships to their trainers. Listen to this description of a great boxing trainer. He says here, A great trainer is patient and careful. They don't let their fighter get hurt when hopeless is the only feeling left in their heart. They don't allow their fighter to slack off, otherwise ending their relationship. A great trainer must have a mental and emotional connection with the fighter, feeling what his fighter feels, and being able to see what the fighter is seeing. Trainers don't give up on their boxers and never let them feel unappreciated and incomplete. Hard work, proper passing of, proper passing of knowledge, dedication, consistency, respect, Understanding, attention to detail, and authenticity are crucial to a working boxer-trainer relationship. A trainer who can throw in the towel when, when the fighter is in trouble is a great trainer. A trainer who can lift the fighter's spirits in the corner during a fight is a great trainer. A trainer who can give their fighter energy and drive is a great trainer. Now listen, I just described to you what a man on a website talking about what a great boxer trainer is. But can I tell you, in the spiritual realm, I can in that place of a boxing trainer, I can sit, tell you that grace does the same thing. Grace empowers us for the fight that we have in this world. And my friends, if you don't believe you're in a fight, then you didn't wake up right this morning. Because you woke up with a fight on your hands against your flesh. You woke up with a fight and you know that we are engaged. And that's why Paul said that you must fight the good fight. We are in a fight. And grace truly comes alongside us in this walk with Him and trains us. And we know that grace is Jesus Christ personified. 
It is indeed our Savior through uh, this marvelous act of grace that saves us, but comes alongside us each day and helps us. What does this grace teach us? Look there in your Bibles. It says, for the grace of God, teaching us, first of all, what? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I'd like to submit to you, first of all, that I believe grace teaches us that once we get saved, we are under new ownership. New ownership. Yeah, that's right. When grace takes over, grace is new owner. And therefore, some things are going to take place. There's a new birth when someone gets saved. He's given a new heart. He's given a new life. One goes from embracing and enjoying sin to rejecting sin and running from sin. Not that they aren't confronted with sin and not that they still don't see it, but there's a different outlook upon sin. Think about 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? New creature. That word creature there is a word creation. Your brand new creation from God. All things are, old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Galatians chapter 6 verse 15. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but guess what does? A new creature. Also Ezekiel in the Old Testament. God Almighty told them that He would give them a new heart. He says, a new heart in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. He says here that there is a new heart. And I'm telling you, with grace, we need to understand that there is a new ownership. Why do we see that? Because we see this first word here, denying. What does that mean, denying? It means rejecting. It means refusing. It means renouncing those things in my life that used to control me. You remember the old life? Even if you were saved at a young age, the sinful desires that you had no control over. But now that the Spirit of God has moved in and made residence... There's a new creature. You are a new creature. There's a new life. And there now must be, grace teaches that there is a denying. It's interesting to me. As we hear about grace and and taught in churches today, I I hear it predominantly uh, uh, taught in the context of uh, salvation, which I believe is necessary. It's absolute necessary. The Bible says that, and we must emphasize that. But for some reason... And many of our churches today, they're stopping right there. And they're not teaching that not only does grace save us, but grace changes us. And we must understand that that is the biblical uh, meaning of God's grace. It saves us and it changes us. What 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 does the grace teach us to deny? Well, it says there in your Bible, what is the first thing Paul mentions that Titus must teach? It teaches us that denying ungodliness. What is that? Ungodliness is lacking reverence for God. Irreverent thoughts and actions towards God. That's simply meaning that 
that's a type of person that is not walking in grace. A person who counts, uh, uh, names the name of God flippantly and speaks of the things of God flippantly and almost in vain, they are not people that are understanding or walking in grace. Either there's one thing that I've, I've heard about that. When people are doing that, it's usually indication of, uh, indicative of a, of a couple things. One is that they do not understand God's grace. Or it's that they have never received God's grace. And so we see here that there is a denying uh, that we see of the ungodliness. There's that l- lack of reverence that was there at one time. I can remember as a, as a young man. I, it's something I look a, a, upon with embarrassment. But I do remember mockingly towards a friend of mine um, using the Lord's name in vain. Not just flippantly, but mockingly. I remember, and I said it over and over and over and over and over in front of him, just kind of as a mocking way, saying, look, I can do that. You know what I was doing? I I had not truly ever understood grace in my life. I was sitting there mocking the name of God. There was no reverence coming from my heart towards the Creator God. It was a joke to me. But when I got saved, when I became a new creature... When I got born again, I then was a new creation. And I knew that when when I talk about God and the things of God, it better be in a serious, reverent way. It better be in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was a denying of ungodliness. Can I say something right there? And you say, now, preacher, you're getting on a soapbox now. Well, I might be, but I'm just going to put it out there. This is my opinion. Church, be very careful on you uh, pertaining in things that use God's name in vain. What is that? That is ungodliness. That is the true definition of this word ungodly. It's irreverency towards the Almighty. And God's people should not approve or support anything that's going to advertise ungodliness. Can somebody say amen right there? Thank you. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible says. And so we see that there is a denying, a rejecting of ungodliness, but then worldly lust. Now, what is this referring to? Now, this is lust, which are characteristic of the godless human system. Uh, they, in this culture on the island of Crete... <laughs> I want to tell you uh, the things that they, the immorality and the prostitution and the things that uh, were taking place during that time uh, would just uh, make you blush real quick and uh, would want you to plug, cover your eyes and plug your ears the things that were being witnessed, which a lot of those things we are witnessing today in our own country, even in the public. And in the private sector, it's, it's the sky's the limit, of course. We know that through Internet, and it's awful. But what God is saying here is that grace that we experience, that salvation, that grace, it should teach us to deny ungodliness and those worldly lusts. Paul teaches about those. He talks about them often. You, as you study your Bible, you'll hear him use terms like fleshly lust, foolish lust, Hurtful lust, youthful lust, they're all speaking of that same characteristic uh, that, that follows the godless human system around us. And there's got to be a renouncing of those things once a person becomes born 
again. Now, I'd like to share an illustration with you that talks about, that sort of uh, brings this uh, in more of a vivid picture. You know, those of you that know anything about pigs, pigs love what? Mud. They absolutely do. They, they love mud so much that they can waller in it, they can lay in it, and just be the happiest thing on earth. I, see, I found this picture, and I thought that uh, it truly did show that truth. I mean, this is maybe, I don't know if it's a Monday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon, but this pig is just fine and dandy. He's comfortable. He's loving it. And this one, this one just had the buffet and just headed toward the mud pit. Okay? That is what is his nature or her nature. Okay? That's the pig's nature. They love mud. It's no problem when they get in it and get dirty. That comes natural to them. They look for that. They long for that. Why? Because that is their nature. And ladies and gentlemen, when a person gets saved, the things that they used to enjoy with the old nature, when the new nature comes in, the new heart, when grace moves in by the power of the Spirit, there are new desires. There are new wants. There is a new heart. That's what grace does indeed. Now, I'd like to talk about another animal. Now, some people don't like this animal, and I understand that. So if I offend any of you, uh, we're going to use this animal as an illustration, okay? Now, I want to now use go from using a pig and its nature and the things that it does. You can, And again, you can go wash a pig up, give him a wonderful bath, and use Pantene Pro-V and zestfully clean anything you want. He can be smelling fresh. But you know where he's going to go when you let him go? Back to the mud. That's his nature. This next animal I'm talking about does not like mud, does not like water. And that is the animal that I'm going to talk about is the cat. Yes, I know some of you don't like cats, and I understand that. I had one friend of mine, he said, no, you got me all wrong. He said, I love cats. They taste like chicken. I said, that's wrong. But, you know, cats do not like getting wet. Cats don't like getting water. If you ever tried to give a, bath, a, a cat a bath, that can be quite rough. That can be a dangerous task. And when cats get wet, there's one thing I notice. They look miserable. I mean, does this cat look miserable? It's not in his nature to want to be wet. What about this one? They're just miserable. Why? Because that is not what the desires that that cat has made. In fact, it's the quite opposite. They like to be clean. They like to be dry. They're constantly licking themselves, as you can uh, tell, and viewing a cat. They like to be clean. But you know what those pictures showed on that cat especially? That, to me, was a picture of, spiritually speaking, of a Christian who does know Christ, but is not walking in grace. They're not following the life that grace is teaching them. And they are miserable. 
Now, if you're like the pig and it doesn't bother you a bit, you know, you go, of course you go and get in the mud and whatnot. That's your nature. You like wallowing in it. And if the Christian is like that with going into sin and wallowing in sin and living life, doesn't have any problem uh, showing any reverence to God. That doesn't really bother you. If somebody, you, it, that, those things don't bother you. Again, there's a there's a problem. One or two things you do not truly understand the power of grace and what it does, or secondly, you've never experienced it. And I believe that's something we need to understand that grace teaches. It teaches new ownership. But secondly, not only does it teach new ownership, but it teaches new management. It teaches that there is not only new ownership in our lives, but there is new management. Look at there, uh, chapter 12, excuse me, chapter uh, 2, verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust... All right, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. Now, the first two characteristics were in the negative. And that, that's just preaching against sin. All right, that's what it was. But these third ones are more in the positive light. These are things you need to be doing that grace will teach you to do. Grace will not only teach you to do, but grace will empower you to do. Because notice what it says, I think it's a key term here, in this present world, in this present world, church, have you ever realized so much in your life? And I know it's going to depend on the, on the generations uh, that, of the response of this question. But do we realize the wickedness that we are facing today? That we are surrounded by the temptations of our young people are nothing like even I experienced 20 years ago. When I was in high school, I mean, it's, it, it goes to a whole nother level. I heard things to, just recently from, uh, from not our county, but a different county, not too far from us. What they are finding out that fifth and sixth graders are doing. Just recently, some of the acts that they were caught in. It would just boggle you. And, and, and they are faced with temptations and this wickedness and ungodliness. And how can we combat this? I want to tell you how we combat it. We combat it with grace. Grace teaches us to deny, but it also teaches us that we should live. Young people, teenagers, you're facing these things out in, in, in school among other friends, perhaps in, in different areas of your life, even adults. What is grace? How are you going to respond to that world when you go out there? Well, I'm going to tell you how you're going to respond. According to the Bible, you should respond that you should live these ways in this present world. Uh, have you guys ever noticed, uh, it stands out to me uh, most definitely, especially at restaurants, when the sign comes out and says, Under New Management. What comes to your mind when you see that sign? Well, maybe several things. But one of the things that comes to my mind is maybe something wasn't being done correctly. Maybe they were not producing the quality food that they should have been at this rest, certain restaurant. Maybe they were not producing it as quickly as they should have been. And so what happened is a new manager was brought in. Now, there can be other various reasons, but that's one of the things that comes to my mind under new management. Well, can I tell you, my life was that way and yours was too. There was a point where we were managing our lives. Self had the throne. And then when God came and me, He bought me by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus, and then He moved in. And He took control 
of the, of the helm, and he now has the reins. He now manages my life, and grace is seeking to manage us and change us. You know, if I were to ask you this morning, who's in charge? Are you allowing grace to instruct you? Because again, one of the misunderstandings of grace is that, oh, we find forgiveness in grace. And I want to tell you, I agree with you a hundred percent. You claim the forgiveness of grace, but do you understand, according to the Bible, if you claim grace for forgiveness, you must claim grace to change you. It's the Bible. And it will be evident as you allow it to manage you and change you. What's the first thing? What is this thing? What is this word of soberly? That you should live soberly. That means sensibly, self-controlled. The old nature no longer rules. You now have the power to say no. You're discerning the evil that is around you. You know, before you didn't have the power to say no. Um, one of the things that I experienced in, in Africa is that it was and because of the, the, the thieves that would come and, and uh, try to break in in the area we were in, it was very common for as a missionary to have uh, a guard dog and uh, to have a good one. Uh, that really, number one, barked a lot. You wanted a dog that barked a lot, any kind of knock on the door, any kind of unsudden movements or uh, unusual sounds, you wanted your dog to bark. And, man, they were effective at it, especially if you got a good one. They were really good. They would help so much. And, and I'll be honest with you, in that area of the world, uh, uh, the, the Nigerians were terrified of, of those dogs. And they would stay clear, especially some of the missionaries would actually bring over German shepherds. And you're talking about scared. Uh, they would be terrified, especially if it was a black German shepherd. I think they thought that was probably a demon in itself. Uh, but but they, nevertheless, they would be terrified. But one of the things they would do, and and uh, to show uh, to show their anger, uh, to get back at you, to show resentment, is they would try to. Uh, kill your dog. And one of the ways that they would try to kill your dog, your guard dog, is to poison meat. And what would happen is they, they would put some kind of uh, chemical uh, that they would uh, just kind of damp around the, the meat. And, and over there, these Africa, these type breeds that we use for guard dogs, uh, they would devour any type of meat very quickly, would not have any discernment. So these Africans, these Nigerians would toss over meat during the night, toss it over, and we wouldn't be awake. And what they would do is the dogs would devour it, and of course it would kill them. And it was a very sad thing. Sometimes they would, the dog would just get very sick, but a lot of times the dogs would die. Now what, what is that illustrating to you today? You know what? Those dogs did not have discernment. They couldn't discern the evil. They couldn't discern the poison that was upon that meat, and they just devoured it. But can I tell you, Christian, let me give you good news this morning. For the born-again child of God, God has given you His grace to give you discernment. To be able to tell whether this is evil or not. To be able to understand whether this is going to hurt my testimony for Christ. It teaches you to live sensibly, discerningly, to know what was right from wrong. Thank God for that. I'm glad I got someone to help me with that because within myself I couldn't do it. Could you? I don't think we could. We have to be governed and taught by grace. But then look at, secondly, what is this other area that is teaching us? Righteously. 
Teaching us to live righteously. And let me just define that for you. It's right living. Grace teaches us how to live right. Oh, I'm under grace. Somebody says that and sometimes I'll say it. Hey, listen, if you say that, yes, you are under grace. Because we are saved by grace. We are forgiven by grace. But we are also taught by grace for right living. Remember the illustration of the boxer trainer, the the trainer for the boxers? He was there with you through the thick and thin. Grace does the same thing. Well, you just have a bad day. You give in to the old nature. Grace is not teaching you and ruling your life. And man, you fall on your, flat on your face and you feel horrible. It's just like that trainer does for that boxer. He gets them back up. He'll throw in the white towel if he needs to. But you know what the grace will do? Grace will get you sit back, sat back up. Grace will kind of maybe throw some water in your face. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get your attention. Grace, grace will walk with you, church. He, he walks with us. The Lord Jesus Christ is with us. Yes, He will forgive us of our sin. But not only that, He will give us the power to overcome that sin in our lives. And that is the almighty power of God's amazing grace. Not only that, but then I think about, it says here that we should live godly. Again, that goes back to reverential living. An awareness of God. Now, let's be honest. You get around people that are not, that have never experienced grace. There is no awareness of God. I've been in the workplace. I was in the military on that ship. I was on a ship with uh, over 60 men. And it wasn't long after I got saved. I didn't realize it when I wasn't saved. I was right with them. I was just wallowing in the mud with them. I was enjoying it. I enjoyed every bit of it. As a lost man, I enjoyed it. But when God changed me, I started noticing some things that were quite different than the way I was looking at it. And there became an awareness in my life that God was watching me. And that God cared about the way I was living. Now before, that didn't really matter. I mean, I kind of had a passing thought every once in a while, well... You know, I wonder if God knows this or sees this. But when I got saved and grace came into my life, there almost became an awareness. And that it carries the idea of living godly. You are living aware that God is near. That is the power of grace. And then notice that term in this present world. As I mentioned, you can't just talk about grace for the future. Grace is for the present. It's for the living. It's for the challenges that we are facing today. My dear friends, is grace training you? Are you allowing it to train you? The things that you're facing right now. The things that you're, that God is wanting you to deny and part from. The, the ways that God is wanting you to walk in. And the things that He's wanting you to do in your life. Are you walking in that grace? Tonight, by God's grace, we're gonna, we're gonna talk about not only this, uh, new, uh, and new ownership, but we're gonna talk about the new expectation that grace brings. The new expectation that one day, oh, glory. Oh, glory! I can't say glory enough right here that one day, glory, we will by God's grace be saved from the presence of sin. But do you see what grace does? Grace saves us from the penalty of sin. 
That's what we saw last Sunday. This Sunday, we are talking about how grace saves us from the power of sin. And tonight, and as we look to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace will also save us, praise the Lord, from the presence of sin. But church, until that day comes, we must live righteously, godly, and soberly in this present world. And that will not happen outside of God's amazing grace. Listen to what the testimony of John Newton. This is John Newton's epitaph that reads this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had no, excuse me, that he had long labored to destroy. Now listen to this last statement. Grace did not free him to serve no master, but a new master. My dear friends, if you're here today and you claim Christ as your Savior, but you are enjoying sin and wallowing in it, and have no conviction about it, can I tell you that the the probability of you not being born again is very high. If you can live in sin and not be dealt with it at all, then you need to make sure you are a new creation. And the only way to do that is by grace, through faith. It doesn't have to be here. It can be anywhere, but it can be here. This is what you do. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. And I believe you are the only one that can save me. I believe that you died and rose again the third day. And you know what the Lord will do? By His grace, He'll save you. He'll make you a new creature. He'll give you a new heart. He'll give you the power to overcome that daily sin that we are faced with. That's what He'll do. But then maybe there's someone here. You say, Pastor, I know that I've been saved. I struggle with sin. I sure do. I get convicted very easily. God deals with me. God's working with me. I want to tell you that's a good sign. But I want to tell you, maybe today, God has spoken to you about letting grace teach you in this life. Mold you and make you. Let it forgive you. But dear friends, let's let grace change us. We're going to talk about how grace will make us zealous of good works. How you want it and desire it. We'll talk about that tonight. But I want to tell you, maybe today there just needs to be some people that, number one, either get saved. You need to just say, Lord God, I need you to save me. And you get saved here this morning by trusting in Jesus as your Savior. But then secondly, I may be speaking to some Christians here this morning. And you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God. i got things in my life that are all the things you named here. Ungodliness, worldly lust, living soberly. I'm away from God. Can I encourage you today, dear friend, experience the grace of God of letting Him forgive you, number one, as you confess it, but number two, let it change you. Let's pray.